and actually try and generate data that actually helps you determine, okay, is this the right thing to do? Is there evidence here? Then it becomes really hard to refute that and it becomes a much more proactive conversation around, okay, should we do something based on this? Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. This afternoon, I am lucky enough to be joined by Rich Carter. Rich, how's it going? Hey, David. I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm doing well, thank you. So, Rich, for those of our listeners that don't know, can you tell everyone a little bit about your current role? So I'm the chief digital officer at Eli Lilly and Company. So it's a global pharmaceutical company. I've been at Lilly for about 24 years, which is a little scary when I say that out loud because I was only 23 when I joined the company. And so I've been here almost as long as I was alive when I joined the company. And my role is really responsible for all of our digital health initiatives. So I'm really focused on what we science-driven patient engagement and using the blend of technology, sensors, devices, wearables to actually transform patient experiences and hopefully drive improved outcomes for people that need our medications. I love that. I'm going to look forward to diving a little bit deeper into that. I actually was just asked to speak in DC on this forum concerning TBI. And you know, when you mentioned wearables, it sparked something. So we'll get to that. Before we get into what you guys are up to, Lily, which I'm really excited to discuss, first, we'd like to ask, just to start off the episode, what's one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave our listeners with today? I think transformation is hard, especially in a very successful company, because I think if there isn't a necessity to change, it's actually really hard to convince people that you actually do need to pivot and you need to continue to reinvent yourselves. And being in the chief digital officer role and really thinking about doing things differently, things that we've never done before, it's actually really hard when there isn't a necessity to change. And I think 
trying to sell that, trying to convince people of the need to do that is actually a really difficult thing to get buy into. But I think the risk is if you start to not be as successful, if you haven't prepared for the future, that's when the problems come and when the challenges start. A hundred percent. I mean, and as we were saying that, I was just thinking about the provider space, how so many providers just subsisted for years. And then we had COVID hit. None were prepared for the digital revolution that was to come, the push for the consumerism of healthcare. And now it's a mad dash to try to get there. What you said just really resonates with me. Again, before we get into you know your experience at Eli Lilly, let's talk a little bit about your personal backstory. Really interested to you know, learn more about kind of how you started out and how you became the chief digital officer of this epic global brand. It's been a little bit of a whirlwind, different countries. I actually did my internship at Lilly when I was on my degree course. So I went to the University of Brighton and it was what we used to call in the UK a sandwich course. And we do 12 months in industry as your third year. I was completely fortunate and lucky enough to go to Lilly, but I didn't really understand what Lilly did or who they were. In full transparency, don't tell my boss that. (laughs) Actually, one of my best friend's dads had done some work with the company and said, oh, they're a really good company. You should go do that. And then 24 years later, here I am. So I did my internship, absolutely loved it. And then I came back as a graduate after I graduated from my degree course. And I've had a whole host of different roles over the years. Probably every two to three years, I ended up doing something new. I think that's probably one of the reasons I've stayed at Lilly for so long is I've always felt like having something new to get my teeth into, the right level of challenge, sometimes maybe too much challenge, a little bit scary which keeps you motivated and keeps you interested. And I've been fortunate enough to be in Indianapolis, which is where our corporate head office is for the last 10 years. That started off as a three-year assignment. 10 years in, I'm still here and now I've fully paid up member of the US workforce. But during that time, I've worked in our research area, helping scientists develop new medicines. I've worked on the commercial side. Alpine, our sales force, did a global CRM implementation, which got me the opportunity to come to the US and work in head office. And then for the last three, five years, I've been really focused around patient engagement, whether that's through customer support programs, patient support programs, connected devices, connected care into this kind of digital health, chief digital officer role. So lots of different things over the years that I've managed to kind of get my teeth into, always continue to progress. Loved the people leadership side when I was given the opportunity to do that. And then ultimately now run the digital office organization. Yeah. Super cool. You know, I've found that any of the opportunities worth having and really as I've leveled up over the course of my career, it's always required me to fly over my skis at least a little bit. What would you say is one of the most important things that you've learned along the way, personally or professionally, and what was life like before learning it and after learning it? That's a really good question. I think there's a personal bit where I'm really big on my gut. When I first took this job, we literally went into the middle of COVID. And I took this job maybe a month before we kind of locked down and everybody went home and we went through that whole 
this is going to be a couple of weeks, we'll ride this thing out. And then two years later, I think, started to sort of come back into the office. I went through a period in this job where I didn't necessarily trust my gut as much as I did before. I kind of got promoted into this role. I think sometimes you need to believe in yourself and believe in some of the things that got you to where you're at. I wasn't necessarily convinced by the strategy for digital health within Lilly when I took this role. And then, like you said, we got a little bit distracted by COVID. We had to pivot and do other things. And actually, Lilly set up a drive-through testing center in Indianapolis to actually help combat COVID and get people, certainly medical professionals, first responders back into the fight against COVID because we had some of the lab capability to actually do the appropriate testing at a time. So I ended up leading the IT capabilities to support that drive-through testing center in one of our car parks. And as you can imagine, we had like hazmat gear because at the start, you didn't really know what you were dealing with. We had to set up infrastructure in our car park so we could have people with iPads that were all ended up having to be disposed of because they were contaminated and a patient registry to kind of log in and actually request a test and set all of that up so that we could run that. But the biggest thing was then when I came back to that strategy, it probably took me 12 months to really trust my gut and actually change it because it was kind of easy to follow the same thing. And now we've evolved into this very science-driven patient engagement strategy and i'll share a little bit of that later but i think it's something i really really believe in and i think we've actually now managed to get the organization to start to believe in that and do some of what we were talking about earlier that transformative change and i would say we're pivoting now from when somebody actually is pushing us to do more than we are trying to sell it, which is a huge step in the right direction. For sure. And it can be hard for me to play the role of the challenger. I was just talking about this with someone yesterday about how, you know, speaking to an audience of my peers and to go into an organization and not be an order taker. You know, if I sense something is up, to hold up that mirror and say, listen, this is what it is. This is what experience shows. This is what the data is showing us. You know, we need to do something about it tactfully, right? And without trying to make anyone wrong, but it can be nerve wracking, but you know, it's necessary. One of the biggest things related to that, I think is really trying to get people away from an emotion-based or an opinion-based decision to a data-driven decision. Because if you can sort of get down to data, it's hard for people to argue against that. If it's very hypothetical, it can become an opinion versus an opinion conversation. So, you know, one of the things that we've tried to do, I've tried to do over the years is get away from the emotion of a decision and actually try and generate data that actually helps you determine, okay, is this the right thing to do? Is there evidence here? Because then it becomes really hard to refute that and it becomes a much more proactive conversation around, okay, should we do something based on this? A hundred percent. It's funny that you mentioned that because when you talk about patient access, patient engagement or customer engagement, you know, and enabling more compassionate, engaging experiences, it can be kind of Pollyanna initially for maybe an executive team of a, you know, healthcare payer, provider, pharma, whatever, who hasn't done anything like that before. 
we've started leveraging AI on the front end to start tying ROI to all those, you know, automation streams. And, you know, the eyes start to light up when they see potentials there, you know, and it's a win-win, right? Because we're improving the experience of the patient, the customer, the caregiver or, or employee. And then we're also simultaneously driving, you know, revenue and typically brand loyalty for the client. Just listening to you talk about that, David, there's a piece around like we're moving to a more product-centric mindset versus a project-centric mindset. I think that's been huge for us because we are actually starting to try and understand truly what the people we're trying to serve need, whether that's a patient, whether that's a provider or a payer. And I think you know, historically, I say I've been in 24 years, sometimes I think we've been very quick to provide solutions that we wanted people to have or thought they needed, not necessarily actually go into the actual person who's going to consume that product and actually say to them, what do you actually need? Because we've done more of this science-driven patient engagement. These are things that we thought physicians would be really interested in, and they are provided it's validated and provided it actually gives them data that they believe they need versus okay, here's a lot of things that we think you need. And if you can right. blend those two things together, you can get some real powerful capabilities and real powerful transformation because people actually start to pull it and demand it because it adds that value, right? It's like the whole Steve Jobs working back from the customer experience versus creating a product and then just trying to sell it to people. Just shifting that paradigm is what I hear when you mentioned the product versus project. I really like yeah. that. We often quote the Steve Jobs iPhone example or the Henry Ford. If you'd ask people, did they need a car? They would just know we need faster horses, right? Exactly. How about, Rich, one of your biggest challenges along the way, and not so much for Lily as a company, which we'll kind of talk about, but personally over the course of your career trajectory or personally, what was one of those biggest moments you know, something that sticks out in your mind is something you took a lesson from. I think certainly living in a different country, moving from the UK to the US, same language. And a lot of people do it when it's a completely different language. And I can only imagine how hard it is to transition when English isn't your first language. You know, I was in the grocery store with my iPhone and Google trying to figure out, is this product what I'm actually after? Because even in the same language, we use different names for different things like chickpeas and gobonzo beans and things like that. And things come in different packages. So, but I think just that transition with a family moving to the US, you know, at the time I was very focused on, is it the right thing to do for me and for my immediate family? Over time, I think I've learned the value of, and COVID really hit home with this. I didn't see my parents who are based in the UK. For about four years, actually in person, and obviously, thank God we have FaceTime and all of the kind of digital capabilities to interact because you at least still feel like you chat to them. But FaceTime hides a lot with aging and you kind of realize, you know, actually my parents are getting older. You don't see some of the challenges they have with mobility that they didn't have previously and things like that. So I think that's really kind of taught me to value a little bit of work-life balance, but also really understanding what's important. I've been able to translate that back into the work I do. And I think, you know, now working for a pharma company where patient engagement is actually really, really important. And 
what we do drives a lot of value for me personally in the sense of it's a really rewarding job because we are actually giving people more time in the areas that we operate and we're either helping to provide a better quality of life for that individual or in some cases like our oncology business we're actually giving people the gift of time which is hugely rewarding when you think about it like that yes i think for me it's so important that i really tied to that mission purpose right exactly both my personal purpose to create a life for my family and to live comfortably and then past that how am i looking to impact the lives of the patients and the caregivers that we support that resonates with me for sure let's talk a little bit about that actually before we do i always like to ask favorite book either that you're reading right now or recently or all time your choice one of the ones that i think has resonated really well with me is a book called the patient is waiting it was actually written a few years ago and it was actually about digital transformation in the healthcare industry and uh, even though it's i don't know it's maybe 10 years old that book i read that now and there's still a lot of things that are still relevant in there you know some of the transformational challenges that we face with an ever-evolving ecosystem if you think about the u.s market and space healthcare system the kind of closed data and how hard it is to actually integrate into the healthcare system are all in incredibly relevant and there's a lot of kind of leadership transformation lessons from that book so that was one of my favorite kind of workbooks i haven't read that so i'm excited to go pick it up so rich chief digital officer at lily talk to us a little bit more about your vision for it and digital as it's derived from the overall mission of the organization it's really interesting. My role kind of recently expanded and I picked up both what we call innovation incubation and that covers both external innovation. So how do we actually tap into the external ecosystem and use it more to actually drive some of the transformation as well as internal of the possible and actually being able to show people if this is the problem you're trying to solve, how can you actually change it? And the other piece that I picked up was New Venture. And I think that's super exciting because if you'd have told me 24 years ago that Lily would actually create a digital startup, spin it out and incubate that, I probably would have fallen off this chair in all honesty. But I think we're really trying to sort of drive for a new space. We actually did that. We created a company called Prescriber Point, and that was to reimagine how pharma and the providers interact. So, you know, historically, you understand this as well as anybody, the model has been very one way. Like, here's what we want to tell you about. And here's a sales rep and everybody's going to come and tell you their story instead of flipping it into almost the Uber model, which is, okay, I'm the physician. Here's my patient. This is the information I need. And I don't care whether that comes from Lily or any other pharma company. I just want that in one place. And Prescriber Point was designed to do that. So we actually spun that out, launched it, set it up as a new entity and closed the seed round towards the end of last year. And now that business is out there trying to drive transformation. So that's a really cool example of something that, you know, as a 24-year veteran IT person in Lily, I never thought we would ever do. So I've got kind of the innovation piece and then I've got the digital health piece. And as we chat about, it's really focused on that science-driven patient engagement. And obviously, these two worlds come together because 
we're using the internal capability, we're using the external ecosystem to solve these challenges. But on the digital outside, we're really focused on two things. The first is what we call connected clinical trials. And people have heard the term decentralized clinical trials, which is decoupling the patient from the study center and trying to make it easier to do clinical trials and reach more people. We had focused on that too, but we view that as table stakes. That's just how the business of developing medicine is done today and will need to be done in the future. Connected clinical trials is about developing the digital biomarkers and that enables you to truly decentralize it. But if we can measure through a device, you know, whether it's an Apple Watch or a heart rate monitor or a sensor, what is actually happening with the person in the study, we can see the true efficacy of our medicines and we should be able to accelerate medicine development. But the magic of that, if I can measure that efficacy, if we get approval for that medication and it becomes a commercial product, I can use the same digital biomarkers to truly help drive that science-driven patient engagement with somebody who's using our medication in reality. If I give you a real example about that, something like obstructive sleep apnea, you really need to try and measure the blood oxygen levels. What you're trying to see is an increase in somebody's blood oxygen levels. Well, I can measure that today from an aura ring or other devices that somebody could wear at night. And if I can measure that, I can actually show the person when they can't see the symptoms necessarily changing, is it actually helping you get better? Is the medication working? And I can feed that data back to their physician. Physician can use that insight to make the next best treatment decision. And you can start to really influence personalized care for somebody that needs our medication. So that's what we mean when we say science-driven patient engagement. And then those two worlds kind of come together leverage the external ecosystem because we know we can't do this on our own as an N of one, as Lily, and really drive and bring to life some of those ideas to help people get the buy-in and ultimately drive to better outcomes for people that need our medications. Super cool. And I see the interconnectedness of it all. Also started thinking about the impact of some of these large language models from a knowledge management standpoint, some of the things that you guys are doing. For sure. <laughs> But we could have a whole nother podcast about that. Any other exciting key initiatives that you guys are focused on? And so in the large language model kind of space, and as you think about the AI and the machine learning piece, another area of focus for us is model-driven drug discovery. So really starting to apply AI and ML into that space to try and accelerate the development of our medicines. And that's really to augment the power of our scientists by applying machine learning into that ecosystem. With the direction of digital biomarkers, and if we can actually get to reliable signals, I think there's an opportunity in the future to potentially get model-driven dosing as well for patients. And we see that in the diabetes space today where you have clinically validated algorithms and it's a relatively simple, people kill me for saying relatively simple, but there's tried and tested measures and there's tried and tested calculations. If you understand somebody's blood glucose measures and you understand their activity and carbohydrate intake, you can basically determine what insulin dose that somebody should take. 
But I see the extension of that coming beyond, and I think that'd be really powerful in areas like oncology when you start to think about toxicity, side effects from some of these treatments. If we could actually dial that in more specifically to the specific individual, hopefully we can make the treatment more tolerable but still get the effects. And not just limited to oncology, I think that could be across the board in some of our portfolio. So some really exciting future depth and a lot of kind of what we're working on today, whilst is important in the interim, just to actually drive value and speed up medicine development, speed up getting the products to patients. But those will become the building blocks for some of those future capabilities down the road. So cool. What about some of the biggest challenges that you guys are facing now as an organization? So Lily, we're very fortunate at the moment. We've got a really fabulous pipeline and trying to have so many competing priorities to actually be able to launch some of those medications if and when we get approval down the road, I think is going to be incredibly difficult. You know, linked to that, we're looking at an automation, what we call digital at scale agenda to try and see how we can do more with the same amount of people. And can we actually use automation to help deliver some of those things? Chat GPT and some of the generative AI space, I think, will be very big in that area. And I think that's going to change fundamentally the way we all work in the future, which I think will be quite exciting. And then probably one of the biggest challenges I face in my role when you think about that digital health is how do we get the data back into the healthcare ecosystem? And that to me is something Lily isn't going to solve as an N of one. I think that needs to be I won't use the term industry because I don't think it's limited to the pharma, life sciences industry. I think it's the ecosystem needs to help with that. I think big tech are looking at that stuff with Apple and Google. We need to look at that. But how we actually get this relevant data back into the healthcare ecosystem so that physicians can make better treatment decisions and get the right, in commercial, you call it next best action, right? how you get the right next best action for the patient using the subject matter expertise of the physician, but with a better data set to help them make that decision, I think is key. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges today, I think, is just how do you integrate the healthcare data and our data and how do you blend those things? But that's not limited to Lilly. That's an industry-wide health system issue. Sure. Are you guys currently able to receive, you know, anonymized data from the providers in any capacity? I mean, it depends on the use case. In some cases, you need to become a HIPAA entity in order to do that, because in some cases you might receive information before you have a patient consent. De-identified is a little bit different, but you need a use case and you need to work on a contract with the different institutions to be able to do that. You know, one of the things that the industry sort of says, if you've integrated with one house system, you've integrated with one house system, <laughs> irrespective yeah. of whether they use the same platforms as some of the other house systems, because there's a sort of legal regulatory compliance contracting piece of it. And then there's just a physical technology integration piece, because a lot of the EHRs and EMRs have been so customized that just because you've integrated with one, you can't necessarily use that same integration over and over again. But I really believe we need to open up those data ecosystems to get the best for both 
the patients and the providers and the pharma company so we can reinvest that back into future development and new medications because that data really holds the key in my mind. I agree. It's such a complex subject. That is my hope as well, for sure. I can say that unequivocally. So have a little bit more time here, Rich. What about some of the best practices you and your team follow? We are really trying to sort of embed user-centered design into everything we do. The other thing I mentioned earlier is we pivot from a project-based organization to a product-based organization. I think we've undervalued user-centered design historically. I think we've done traditional IT development. We've had analysts doing requirements definition, but we haven't really actually used user experience research principles and been able to actually go have that conversation with our target customer, whether that's an employee or a function internally, or whether that's externally to a patient or an HCP, a provider. So we're very much trying to embed those capabilities and grow those capabilities. One of the other thing is historically, we've kind of used a lot of partners to develop some of our products and our solutions. And I think our new chief information officer who came from sort of big tech company background has changed our thinking around that and actually pivoted to know we should actually own the engineering capabilities. And we should actually create the organizations to be able to be self-sufficient and actually develop this innovation and develop this transformation. There's been an interesting transition as we've, one, started to try to recruit more technical individuals, more software engineers. You, know, you realize you're in an ecosystem where you're, we're competing for a lot of the same talent that everybody else is. And you add in AI and ML and, and some of those skill sets and everybody wants those things. So one of the things we're trying to do there is really talk to people about the purpose. Because I think, you know, if you come out of school or you're in that technology industry, you wouldn't necessarily naturally think about a pharma company. Why us, right? But I think you can do the cutting edge technology now, a pharma company. And then going back to that purpose of, wow, you can actually make a difference for somebody either by giving them the gift of more time or improving the quality of their life as they live with a chronic illness. And, you know, that to me is one of the reasons I've been here 24 years. And I think certainly as I've got older, that's become more and more important to me as a person. My son would tell you video games are the most important things in the universe and that affects his quality of life quite severely. But I think you can really start to resonate with people that have been in those roles and start to hit the power of purpose as well as actually you are doing cutting edge tech. We are innovating. We're creating new digital enterprises. We're trying to out-license assets and actually create a revenue stream as an IT function. So thinking about us more as a tech company powering a pharma company versus an IT department within a pharma company. And again, if you'd have told me even two years ago that we would potentially outlicense some of the tech that we've developed internally, I would have fallen off of this chair. But we're actually in the middle of those processes right now because we've developed some really cool IP that people see the value in and actually want leverage. That is super cool. I think it's great that I meant to mention this before, how you've held all these different roles 
throughout the organization and you're able to parlay that experience in, you know, not only helping hypothesize or come up with solutions, but also in the organizational change management that's required to really get everyone singing the same tune as much as you can, I suppose. That piece is actually really interesting. I think the one advantage is, you know, I've been here a long time and I have a lot of relationships and, you know, as I've grown in the company, a lot of the people that I've worked with have grown in the company. So now, you know, people who I used to work with are now my peers in different leadership roles. That helps for sure. But I still think one of the challenges is sometimes I think the way we think about how we measure people and reward people isn't necessarily conducive to that innovation, even if you have that relationship with them. Because we run everything very lean, you know, there is only a certain amount of capacity. There's a day job that they need to deliver that they're held accountable for. And I think there's some pieces despite that kind of like change management where we could actually change how we think a little bit about transformation. I don't think we're necessarily there yet. I think we have some really good ideas around innovation and the things we should go after. I think we're getting better at being able to actually deliver those in terms of like actually create consumer grade products that can compete with big tech type experiences. But sometimes I think the pull through falls over because then it goes into the bigger Lily machine and it's not geared to actually launch these things compared to other things we need to do. So I think despite some of those, the longevity and the relationships, that's where the data piece is so important to actually show people versus rely on historical relationship. But the historical relationship for sure helps. Sure. You get me excited about the farm industry. I mean, I learned so much just listening to you over the last half hour or so that, you know, I'm sure we'll get a lot of interest in what you guys are up to. I have a couple last questions, Rich. One would be just any thoughts, you know, with an understanding that you don't have a crystal ball, where you see the healthcare, you know, pharma industry going in the future and or what do you think will be maybe some of the biggest changes as time passes? It's a great question. I actually was chatting to somebody about this at the end of last week. I actually think the power of personalized data is going to radically change everything we do. You know, this is the example I'm about to give is something you could do today. You could probably have done it two or three years ago. You can get, you know, your genetic analysis and you can determine what potential diseases may be prevalent. And if you're motivated enough, you could actually create lifestyle solutions to help delay the onset of those conditions. That's real. You could do that today. And as these things become watches and devices and sensors become more prevalent in everything we do, I think fundamentally people will start to take more care of themselves and create more preventative action so that, you know, as a pharma company, when a chemical intervention will probably happen later. And I think all the time we have a rich pipeline that is mitigated a little bit, but you need to understand and live in that world where you can create relationship and loyalty with a patient over time, help them with that prevention. And then ultimately when they do need that therapeutic intervention, you can then provide that at the right time. 
So I think it's going to evolve. I think insurance companies in some cases are going to demand that. I mean, if you think about the auto industry and the insurance industry there, you can get better rates if you track the way you drive and put the sensor in your car. I think health insurance is going to be no different. You know, if you commit to programs or if you have data, you'll either get better rates or you will get preferential treatment or whatever it may be that's going to solve that. So I think just the advancement in edge computing, devices, sensors, wearables, and then the ability to ingest that data and actually make active recommendations is going to be huge. And I think there'll be a lot more preventative wellness type experiences that we need to live within as a pharmaceutical manufacturer. Yeah, I got to hook you guys up with Isaac and the guys over at Curative, because that's part of their hypothesis too. So thank you guys. So last question, Rich, if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? I've thought about that quite a lot with COVID and with the move and some of those things. I think the biggest thing for me personally is trust your instincts and your gut, because that's the thing that's actually helped you. Now, It's not shooting from the hip, blend that with the data that you see and the analysis that you do and the information you can get, but then pivot and actually make that change and be bold enough to actually just challenge the status quo. And sometimes I think, like you said this earlier in the conversation, being bold enough to actually truly stand up and say, we need to do this, even if the room isn't necessarily of that mindset. It's actually quite difficult, and I think there's being bold enough to do that is is probably the biggest bit of advice I would have given myself. I think it's got harder as I've gone up the organization to do that, and I think you almost need to be even more bold as a result of some of these roles and the level that you're now operating at. Great advice. Rich, this was an absolute pleasure. I learned so much talking to you, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. It's been a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.